Our Bible reading for today is uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. If you have one of these church Bibles, it's on page 1046. Luke 13, 10 to 21, as we work our way bit by bit through Luke's gospel. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray to you, and Lord, would you make it clear what this means, we pray. If you're trying to tell us about the kingdom of God, would you open our eyes? Would you give us the delight that those people experienced that day in that synagogue? And show us Jesus, we pray. Amen. If God is real, if he's really real, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Ever had that thought? Well, today Jesus' teaching, and particularly I want to focus on the very tail end of that Bible reading in Luke's Gospel, verses 18 to 21. It gets to the heart of that. Why not more obvious? Why not bigger, clearer? And Jesus uh, has two pictures that he paints with words today. One is about a mustard seed, and one is about some dough. So we'll just look at both of those together. Firstly, he says, look, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And I looked in my cupboard and look, I have have Tesco mustard seeds in my cupboard. And they are seeds and they are very small. I mean, every seed is pretty small, isn't it? But some some are bigger than others. And uh, a mustard seed is... Small. I mean, it's barely worth having as a visual aid because it's, it's so small. But here, just to see, you can say that, yes, he's not lying. It's very, very small. And in the story, Jesus says, look, imagine a man gets a mustard seed like this and he takes it and he plants it in his garden. The word in Greek is literally, he threw it. So he threw it into his garden and it hit the soil and presumably something amazing happened because this is the kingdom of God he's talking about. Shall we try? I mean, presumably, if this, if this is right, then I have my soil and I have my mustard seed and we could try some water. Okay. 
Oop. Look at that. Oop. A few drips. I mean, nothing amazing yet. Because I'm not an idiot, right? And, and <laughs> seeds, seeds take time, and you plant a seed. It's not going to happen straight away, but it takes time. Slowly, gently, over time. Jesus is deliberately choosing the seed to say the kingdom of God will grow into a giant tree. Apparently, a mustard tree, uh, it grows to up to 12 feet, which is like two of me. You know, it's, that's, that's going to be halfway up the wall, isn't it, by the time it's fully grown. And it's going to have heaps of seeds on it. So over time, it grows and becomes something massive, like much, much bigger than its tiny origins. So there's your first one. There's your mustard seed. Or Jesus says, change the picture. Let me give you another example. The kingdom of God is like... Dough. And he gives a particular number. If you have your Bible open, you can see it. Let's put that there. How many kilograms, somebody? 30 kilograms. That's a lot. Like your normal bag of flour is like one and a half. I actually have 30 kilograms of flour because I really I like baking bread, as some of you know. So I buy, I buy, I buy bulk. Um, and uh, this is what lives in my kitchen, and it's 30 kilograms of flour, and it's a lot. I mean, this takes me like two, three months to get through this much flour, so who on earth this superwoman is, Jesus is imagining, who gets through 30 kilograms in one batch? I'm like, who are you, lady? This is amazing. You must be baking for your whole village. But the point is less about the flour, right? There's a lot of flour, but it's more about the yeast. Because it's a lot of flour, and only a little itty bit of yeast. You don't need much yeast. It's powerful. And once you put it in, you just pop that in there, 30 kilograms of flour will rise if you mix it in properly once it's worked through the whole batch. So there again, you see what, you see what he's doing again. Something small that becomes, over time, slowly, gently. If I mixed it in now, we'd have to wait hours. But eventually it would get big, 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 big. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows big or yeast working through a batch that, that rises. Get the idea? Or if I was to try and put it in ordinary language, taking it out of picture realm into every day, Jesus is saying he's going to take over the world. Hmm, interesting. Because the only people who say they're going to take over the world are like cartoon villains or megalomaniacs or dictators. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> but this is Jesus Christ. And yet he's claiming that his kingdom, and he is the king of the kingdom, you know, no doubt about that when you read the Gospels, that this thing he says is going to grow and grow and grow until it's a bird that can, um, a tree that can, the birds can perch in. And, and don't doubt it. I mean, this is a biblical thing. Jesus knew his Bible twice in the Old Testament. It talks about kingdoms that grow like trees so that birds can perch in them. Um, Egypt is a great tree like that in Ezekiel. And um, Babylon is a great tree that birds can perch in in the book of Daniel. So Jesus knows what he's laying claim to. But he's going to take over the world. Can you think of a more unlikely candidate to take over the world than a penniless carpenter from northern Middle East who never wrote a book himself? I mean, he, was, he wasn't a military guy. He never wore a uniform and had any medals or guns or swords in those days. He never held political office. He wasn't, he wasn't a, uh, a politician. He didn't do all of that. And yet, there he is. It's, it's before anything really has happened. And he's saying, 
I'm, I'm going to take over the world, guys. And can you, can you see the tininess, the mustard seediness, the tiny yeastiness of what he's saying? It's incredible. He's brave, he's bold. Yet today, Christianity commands the biggest following of anyone else in the world. I mean, there is no country as big as there is the Christians across the world. There is no religion as big as those who attach the name of Christ towards themselves. I was struck, even this month, you know, we've watched King Charles III being crowned, and it's a bit awkward, isn't it, when he gets crowned, but there are some countries, Belize, you know, having discussions about whether they really want him as their king anymore. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to consider. We may not want you anymore. So Charles, you know, his kingdom may shrink. And yet in the very same month, I'm, con- I'm sure people have been becoming Christians all over the world. So Jesus' kingdom is growing and growing and growing right to this present day. And to cap it all, of course, Jesus saw it coming. So in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. So the message today is that the kingdom of God will grow. And I'll try and show you as we get towards the end. Look, if it grows and grows and grows, so it takes over the whole world, eventually it grows into your territory, into your sphere of influence, and it gives you a choice. Do you want him as your king or not? So we'll touch on that at the end. But let me just, I'm going to try and do it differently, right? Because it's, it's simple today, short verses. We've already, we've already, I've told you what it means. I want to try and give you three examples because it can feel to me like it's not true. Right? You look around the UK, you don't know if you're fully with confidence. Ah, oh, the kingdom of God is obviously growing here. You read the census and there are 13% fewer Christians in the UK than there were 10 years ago. That doesn't sound like the kingdom of God is growing. And yet you can't just make a judgment from your point of view alone, could you? If we only took a slice out of the UK in our decade, that would be a bit too narrow to be able to say whether the whole kingdom of God is growing. So let's try and cast our eyes around the world and maybe a little bit back in time as well. So three examples to see if this is true, if it's really growing. China, disability, and the woman in the story. Okay, I'll just try and touch on those three. China, disability, and the woman in the story. Firstly, China. When Jesus said these words, Christianity, I mean, it wasn't even a thing called Christianity. He was just a guy with about 70 followers talking in the Middle East. And it certainly hadn't reached China. Nowadays, though, Christianity is a presence in every continent on earth. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, There is no uniform that Christians have to wear, so they don't all have to dress the same. They don't all have to listen to the same genre of music. They don't all have to do church in exactly the same way. But they do all worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that in itself is amazing. It's already like this great big tree on five continents that the birds of the nations can nest in the branches of. But I turn the spotlight on China for a moment because China is, as far as I can tell, is the country where Christianity is growing the fastest. Uh, I read an article in The Economist and uh, they picked up on this and they give this rather um, striking graph. You see that? This is the number of Protestant Christians in China, and you don't have to be an expert in graphs. The graph goes up, right? A lot. This is government figures, apparently, they say in The Economist. So they have an interest in keeping the numbers low. They would rather you're a member of the Communist Party than of Jesus Christ's kingdom. So I think this is a conservative graph. But 
wow, I mean, that's exponential growth in China at the moment. The subtitle of the article, title is um, Protestant Christianity in China is booming. Subtitle, Xi Jinping doesn't like it. And why would he? I mean, he's the president of China and he'd rather people were members of his political thing, the party, but they're choosing to opt into Jesus Christ's party, as it were, all along. But isn't that the beauty of it? I mean, Jesus, he doesn't force anyone to become a Christian. He gives them the choice. Do you want me as your king? And all over the world, still today, people are saying, yeah, that sounds great. Much better than the dictators we're used to. So China, that's the first example. It seems to me China bears out this story that the tree grows and the dough rises. Second example, disability. We spoke here on Friday night, as, as Ben mentioned, about how um, through hardship we can say it is well with our soul, and Olivia spoke very movingly about that. But our Western culture hasn't always championed the rights of disabled people, and it seems to me that's an example of how um, the seed of something in the kingdom of God, you know, the, the seed of an idea that God gives us, can grow and grow and grow and affect the whole world where it didn't before. The culture when Jesus was speaking was, was ruled by ancient Rome. And in ancient Rome, um, often if you had a disabled baby, they would be exposed. That was the word they used, which is really too gentle a word. What, what exposed means is they, you, would, you would take a baby with a disability, and it might be something obviously serious, it might be something relatively minor, cosmetic, like a cleft palate, and you would leave the baby outside in the elements, and they would die unless someone chose to pick them up. So they die of hunger or of, or of cold. And this was common practice, sometimes because of the gender of the baby, not wanted by the family, but often because of disability. And then the kingdom of God comes along and it <laughs> begins to plant seeds in the culture. And one of the seeds is about the image of God. So you may know if you read the Bible, right at the beginning it says, every human being is in the image of God. So you, you see in a, in, a, in a child of disability the same likeness to God that you do in a child of ability. Another seed Jesus plants is when it says, look guys, it would be better for you to be hurled into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck than for you to hurt a little one. And so he begins to talk very seriously to people who would damage them. And then of course he just goes around interacting with people with disabilities. So he, often Jesus just treats people equally and you pick up from his example the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> you see what happens? So he just keeps doing this and he keeps planting it in the culture and it grows and grows and grows into something that now people in many, many cultures and countries around the world now say, of course, you can't do that to a baby. You treat people equally. In the fourth century, I read recently um, that the first hospital that we know of in the world was in modern-day Turkey, and it was set up by a couple of Christians. They were brother and sister. They're called Basil and Macrina. And it was amazing. They just thought, we have to help people. And they had six departments, and one of the departments was for orphans, foundlings, and um, children who'd been left exposed. So the Christians were the first people to say, hang on a minute. The kingdom of God means we have to do this differently. Or to give you a more personal, up-to-date example, I had something to do with um, children's hospices a few years ago because our own son was born with a disability and I started being invited to these amazing places called children's hospices and they care for seriously unwell children 
who, who may well die. And my goodness, it, it, it took my breath away. I kept going back to these places and I was like, what is this? I mean, this is, this is not like government funded, so that, that sort of sets it up. It's much harder for it to exist. It's full of compassion. People are so kind to these children and the children are um, seriously unwell. They're children and they may well die. So there's multiple reasons to not treat them as impressive human beings if you don't want to. And yet we found them such ref refreshing, amazing places full of incredible people. I got so interested, I was like, where did they come from? And I looked into it. There's a woman called Sue Irwin. And, and uh, she, as far as I can tell, it was like 80s, 90s. And she just had this burden. She said, I want to set up some children's hospices so we can take care of um, babies who need palliative care and children. And it's, I could trace it back as far as I can tell. I'd love to know if, if you can go back any further. But uh, Sue Irwin, and she was the woman in London who started dreaming and praying. I say praying because I had a, I had a whiff. I had a, I had a hunch that she might be a Christian. Why would you carry this passion around with you? And uh, I really wanted to find out. And I was walking one day in the grounds of a children's hospice and I saw this tree. Interestingly, today it's a tree. Uh, and a little plaque at the bottom said, to the memory of Sue Irwin. And then it said, uh, in quotes, to God be the glory, great things he had done. And I realized that that was her life's dream. That was her passion. She desperately wanted to extend the kingdom values that she had read about to children in her generation. She could have been of any faith, of course. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it has to be a Christian, but somehow I just wasn't surprised. I thought, it, it fits. I get it. And uh, there are some amazing children's hospices around this city, which if you have eyes to see them, if you ever get to interact with them, they're incredible. It's like, if I feel like the tree has grown so that the birds of London can nest in its branches. So that's my, that's my second example for you. Uh, we talked about China. We talked about disability. And thirdly, the woman in the story. And don't, don't miss her because um, she is the reason Jesus gave the tree and the yeast illustrations. She was a woman who'd been bent over with deformity for 18 years. You know, probably bent double, so very, very hard for her to straighten up. And she shuffled into the synagogue that day and she got noticed by Jesus and healed. And the synagogue leader, who was this religious guy, he didn't like Jesus healing on the Sabbath, so he objects. But Jesus says, why not? Why can I not do good to this woman on the Sabbath? Why should I not set her free? And then verse 18. Do you see verse 18 if you have it open? Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Then is, li is literally therefore. I'm not entirely sure why they didn't go for the full therefore in that sentence. If you've got another translation of the Bible, it might be there. Therefore Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? You see, so it, he's stitching together. He's still standing in the synagogue. He's stitching together the woman's example with the two illustrations he's about to give of the seed and the yeast. Did you get it? So they belong together. Therefore, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. I conclude from that. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is like slowly, gently, in the life of a woman who's been bent over for 18 years but encounters me and the goodness of God. It's like her being set free, quietly, gently, from what ailed her. Or you might say, forgive me, Olivia, it's like a woman suffering with paralysis and being able to say, as she did on Friday night, but it is well with my soul. That's what the kingdom of God is like. 
slowly, quietly, even through tears, God is able to do that. In the Phantom of the Opera, you know that musical, there's a song. Slowly, gently, night unfurls its splendor. Grasp it, seize it, tremulous and tender. Turn your face away from the garish light of day. Turn your thoughts away from cold, unfeeling light and listen to the music of the night. You remember that song, some of you? No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you might know it when you hear it. Anyway, it's, the, it's, it's about how it happens slowly and gently, but you begin, he begins to know the, the music of the night which sets him free from the life under the stage where he was trapped in this theatre. And the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ which occurs slowly and gently, but, but truly. Just one warning before we finish. Please don't make the mistake of thinking this is a small thing. This is a weak thing. This is a tiny seed or a little bit of yeast so I can afford to ignore it because the whole point is it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And indeed, the whole name for it is the kingdom of God, right? So you don't ignore a kingdom. In the same way we talked last week about if, if you get a letter from the crown court, you don't ignore the letter because it's from the crown in some way, right? You, you, you take it seriously. So you hear Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and you don't think, ah, that's just another option on the menu of life. You're supposed to take it seriously and deal with it because it eventually brings the choice to your door. Jesus is Lord. Do I want him as Lord or not? A lot like Nicola was saying earlier on. Where does this leave us? Well, I think that the choice for you, my friends, is do you want to delight in it today? Verse 17 when Jesus had said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So there is a lot of delight for the person who chooses to watch the kingdom of God grow over time. You know, geography may have never been your thing. Geography for me, I think of that at school. <laughs> no, thank you very much. But with kingdom of God lenses on, I want to go, oh, but geography, that allows me to see the countries of the world and how God is working in them. I mean, we have a map on the wall in my kitchen at the moment. And every breakfast time we try and find out a little bit more about another country and we, we just turn our attention and our prayers towards that country. It's amazing. You can, if you can get the information, things like Operation World has, a, has an app or a website, you can go and find out what God is doing. History may have never held much interest for you. you know, history, ugh, yawn you might think from your lessons at school. But if it's the history of how God has grown the kingdom of God, how people have set up hospitals and hospices and been at work in the world, then wow, history holds interest and vitality and love for me. There are all sorts of books and podcasts at the moment about how Christian ideas have taken root in our cultures and in the world. Church may not have ever held an interest for you before, but how about if church is the way that God advances his kingdom bit by bit by bit? Someone pointed out to me this week that church is, um, as an institution, is desperately disappointing. I was like, I know. <laughs> yes, I know. It can get terribly stale and um, even um, tragic at times. Um, I, am, I am bound to disappoint you. It's only a matter of time as to when. But what if the church as a living organism was the way that God gradually grows his kingdom bit by bit? Suddenly, it, it, that's different for me. That changes it. That's exciting. Maybe you're beginning to get a taste for that too. So join in with that if you want to see with a, little, a little bit of what God is doing in the world and in your neighbourhood. And finally, look, Jesus may have never held much interest for you before, but maybe you sense him just drawing you closer. A novelist that I love, Evelyn Waugh, he talks in Brideshead Revisited, he talks about um, God having an invisible thread. And it's, 
It's a bit like an invisible fishing line. He's just drawing people towards himself. And maybe you have that feeling in your own life or in the people you love. You know, Jesus just drawing people closer, closer and closer to him. Come, come closer, come to my kingdom. Come and nest in the branches of my kingdom. Maybe you can take a fresh delight in that today and, and pray to him. In fact, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. It's a prayer that you could all join in with if you want to. Don't just do it because you know, you're sitting here and you're in church and you may as well. Do it if you want Jesus to be king of the kingdom. It's going to be short and simple. I'll leave a little pause at the end of every line so you can pray it silently to God if you want to. And then I'll say amen at the end. And our amen is the Christian word for saying, it is true. I agree. So if you agree, then say amen at the end. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I see that Jesus is taking over the whole world. I want to be part of it now before it's too late. Would you send your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and please would you let me into the kingdom of God. Amen.